It's time to clip your last good piece and dig in because the runout starts now. I saw a photo of myself on a route that I never sent, probably from like eight or nine years, actually like 10 years ago at this point. And uh, I was just thinking about, wouldn't it be cool and a good story if I went back and did that route right. that I never once did? Yeah. Would after, it be- after all these years. Uh-huh. Um, and I think objectively it would yeah. It'd be a good story. Yeah. But Why? I mean, that's that's what I've been thinking about lately. You know, we've been in a bit of a doldrum. The winter's been going by. We've had, you know, COVID restrictions all over the world. So a lot of expeditions get, didn't get done and people aren't, you know, showing up to do their lifetime projects as much. They're staying local. Um, and so the news has been kind of interesting and, you know, we've had the K2 thing, but it's felt like a little bit of a, of a um, you know, doldrum in the climbing news, but maybe I'm just not paying attention. But just thinking that then got me thinking about what exactly makes a good climbing story, Mm -hmm. you know? And I also ended up um, on this op-ed from a few years ago today about, you know, a subject dear and close to your heart, the first female ascent. But, uh, and and basically the- the For the record, that's not dear to my heart. I know. (laughs) It's interesting from a philosophical perspective, but it's not something I, that is, I wake up every day thinking about. I was re- referring to your near canceling. I know. My one attempt to write about that subject yeah, yeah. Didn't, went, I, I thought went okay. Went okay, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Despite the vitriol. <laughs> what is it? There's no, there's no bad press. Um, but yeah, I mean, and it was essentially about like, at least the, the angle of it was that women's ascents comparatively don't get the same amount of press as men's ascents, you know, if if it's apples to apples. Although I, I felt like her argument wasn't apples to apples because she, you know, sort of like dismissed what Alex Honnold does as um, sneezing close to granite was the actual quote. <laughs> as if like, you know, free soloing the, the free rider being, you know, just he happened to be, he got pressed because it's just you know, a little pepper in the air. Yeah, a little sneeze that he got going. <laughs> But nevertheless, so it got me thinking about, not about that subject, and I'm not going to play out all my nitpicks with that, but what makes a good climbing story. And truly, like, you know, in this era of so much media and so much content, like what does, in fact, make something rise up and get, you know, more than the mention? Because that, that was also part of the thing was like the mention versus the like full treatment. You know, who's getting yeah. a mention, who's getting like it. That was up. the thrust of her article was that there was some women who had done some stuff that she felt was really sick and newsworthy. And like, why wasn't that the next, you know, Don Wall plastered all over ABC and CNN or whatever? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Which is a fair question to ask, I think. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's totally, and, it, and it's not even. it does seem arbitrary. Yeah. And then I started to think about, well, you know, how many real stories are there? Because you know, we, we definitely fall to these tropes and these, uh, like almost cliches that get used over and over again about, you know, digging deep and, and that was the day. And I, you know, felt this way and I triumphed over those feelings or I felt this way and I knew I was going to finish, you know, Mm -hmm. like, it's like, 
insert different climber, different grade, different climbing area, but it's kind of like, it seems like we've been talking the same stories for forever. And maybe it goes all the way back to the damn hero, you know, the hero cycle, the the Joseph Campbell thing. Yeah, the hero myth. Which, you know, to me, I've thought about this before, is that so fits at least like a lot of the mountaineering um, stories that, that have, you know, risen to the top. Yeah, you're asking like a kind of a really deep philosophical question here mm-hmm. about whether the actual climbing experience dovetails perfectly with the the Campbell style hero journey or does it only dovetail perfectly with that in in the aftermath when the climber sits down at his laptop and churns out a story about his or her experience or the or the the observer the journalist does right you know and picks and chooses which details to leave in and which to leave out i mean that that you know that that model of structure and story and that framing of like you're the hero of your adventure i think really does apply to climbing in a lot of ways it kind of does match the the first person pov experience of of being in the moment you know on your you know the red hardest red point of your life or the the biggest mountain of your career or whatever it is and you kind of do you know you do feel like you are this like person who's up against all odds overcoming something for this meaningful thing right you know, this meaningful bit of wisdom that you're going to attain and you know bring home to like Odysseus bring home to the people in the aftermath of your your odyssey and so I don't think that that's necessarily like a forced trope or I, th- I think there's some truth to it. Like, sure. it, you know, yeah. And, and we even tend towards, yeah, the spiritual end of it. Like there is some, you're not just, it's not just lifting weights. It's not just doing CrossFit. Mm-hmm. You know, there's this whole other aspect to it that I think most good climbing stories tease to mm-hmm. this. If it's not spiritual as in like metaphysical, it's like a psychological threshold the the abyss if you will becomes psychological you know that the 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 descent into the the belly of the whale is the is the psychological one yeah it's funny you bring up crossfit too because i my <laughs> instantly my reaction to that was if um like you know i feel like if i worked with a a capable writer who is into crossfit i could i could make a crossfit story interesting you know as a as an editor and I think that I would default to some of these like tropes or, you know, cliches or themes or structures, however uh-huh. you want to describe it. Well, you can't because, help it. Yeah, you can't help it. And you can't it's, help it. It, it. The stories are within us and they're, they're the same stories that we're, that we've, we're living over and over and over again, mm-hmm. according to Young. And that, yeah. So I think that there is a way to, well, I don't know. It's interesting that CrossFit does not have that literary culture to it as far as i know um but something like climbing does you yeah know? and so well. maybe that that, that that that's um you know a tally mark in our corner for i don't know there is something more meaningful or more readily available to make meaning of in climbing yeah for sure i mean it, it is definitely a chicken and the egg thing it's like do you take whatever and turn it into the into the like hero myth mm-hmm. because that's what everybody wants or is there elements there that you simply build upon? You know, can I turn laying this floor in your, you know, two guys showing up tomorrow and putting a floor in yeah. 
as you know to going a, to taco bell yeah was, was, know, is, like, their, is their hero's journey yeah the crossing of the threshold was <laughs> leaving the taco bell and then having to go to the bathroom really quickly <laughs> but but you know what i mean like and i and i i've 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 often felt i mean i have a presentation i gave in cody wyoming because i somehow ended up at the ice festival there and uh which just built you're all a big ice this. climber though yeah um <laughs> no i was i just uh i got invited by uh um the guy who put the put the thing on and and uh which is just buddies and He's like, yeah, come on up, and so, and I gave a presentation there that actually built on this whole hero myth thing mm-hmm. because I I think it's really apparent, yeah, actually within within climbing, but also, I mean, just having done so many interviews with people in modern society, like this whole climbing thing, like how it fits into people's lives is really interesting, mm-hmm. and how we use the word adventure all the time within the context of climbing, and I think most people looking at it from the outside would call it adventurous even stuff we think is mundane you know the big part of the of the journey is that call to adventure Mm -hmm. and so woven into so many and and i get like hung up on this origin story a lot of times like how is it that you figured it out like you decided you wanted to become a climber of all strange things in this world and that's always really fascinating to me. It still is because I, I hear that in my head, the call to adventure, like why, when a lot of people were like, you know, going off to college or graduating high school to the next thing, whether it was college or something else, like they had family on their mind. They had like the security of a good job on their mind, you know, and you climber man or woman decided that, no, this is, I'm going to go do this thing. So I always see it right there, like within the context of modern society, like going and living in your car and becoming a climber is a wild choice mm-hmm. that, you know, is fits right into that cr- crossing of the threshold and, uh, and, and choosing adventure. Well, it's a sport where the question why is front and center. Like, why, why do you climb? Why do we climb? Is it's, it's, um, constantly being referenced again and again, it comes up again and again in every discussion. And and the question of why do something is is in particular peril right now because the former institutions and structures in our society that would provide that answer of why are all in decline. Whether you're talking about religion or you know serving your country or like a you know brand of nationalism you know like our grandparents might have have answered that reason why to you know go fight fascism in world war 2 or something like that you know we we just find ourselves in this like strange moment where why are we doing any of the things that we're doing and so many of the choices that people are making in life are um offering unsatisfactory answers to that question of why is your life purpose really to work for a giant company that gives you like a good paycheck and you know healthcare or whatever but you feel like you're not doing anything like you're not contributing to something that's like cool or like there's no reason why there right and so the question of why is very important and climbing has it doesn't offer a definitive answer but it's it's front and center in in the sport itself mm-hmm. like you you confront that question on a daily basis and for some reason i don't re- i haven't thought about this much but i don't know why but something like climbing seems to at least like dangle the carrot in front of you that there's like this graspable reason uh, or answer to that question of why that something like crossfit or 
you know, your midnight journey to Taco Bell doesn't. And so I don't know why that is, but I think that's part of why we find ourselves among climbers who are maybe responding to that, that, that call of why, like, why are you doing this? Right. Yeah. Like there will be this answer, but, but then rationally or intellectually, we're like, no, there's not, there's really actually not going to be an answer. But I think emotionally you feel like there is. Yeah. And that's what drives you like along the path. Like there will be this answer. And, and and it's funny because I'm I'm really steeped in this this mythology thing. You know, I I you know have a degree in literature, taught literature, and I always keep thinking of how if if there was a culture that lived amongst mountains, they they would put the guru, uh, they would put the gods, they would put the spiritual answer at the top of the mountain. Mm-hmm. Like with it's one of these Campbell things. It's like right. yeah, this is cross cultural over centuries. You know over yeah. places where no one could have talked to each other but that's always the case and so it's like really yeah mountains are sacred in a lot of they're sacred ancient cultures and if you want the answers you have to go to the top and because you know for, for a lot of cultures those mountains were you know if you think about uh, like the sherpa that they were they that was unattainable so the idea of climbing like choma lungma or that was might as well have been going to the moon you know, right. 150 years ago for the people living there. So everything up there was spiritual and unattainable. Um, but yeah, it's, it's like, it, it's like we're, we're grasping at the same thing that everybody's been grasping at. But I think like modern rock climbing is, you know, an answer to modern society. Mm-hmm. And I've never really quite like gamed it out as to how, but like, you know, modern alpinism is not that old. Yeah. You know, it, it it's, it's generally thought of to be like, you know, alpinism with ropes and equipment, the way we think about it is, is, you know, a hundred years old or a little over a hundred years old, but it's like, it's like, I've always thought of it as like this answer to, you know, the comfort and the, the idea that we, we kind of live sedentary lives now when we shouldn't as a sort of evolutionary race, we shouldn't be living sedentary lives. Mm -hmm. We never did. We didn't for 40,000 years. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, the answer has been that, like, you're going to drag yourself out because those comparisons are always made. Like, why would you want to go be cold and miserable and scared? You know, most people, that's the question they have for me. And, and, you know, my friends and relatives who don't climb are, are like, you're a little nuts. You know, they've said that out, out loud because it's just a weird thing to do. <laughs> well, one of the cool things about this question of why and climbing that I've really uh, like is that it's so elusive. Like there is no one answer. As soon as you think you know what the answer is and you chase it, as soon as you attain anything in this sport, you realize that it wasn't what you thought it was. It's it's a mirage <laughs> and it just it, it vanishes from right. your grasp. You mean 13C for me is not going to be the answer? You're not going to be enlightened, <laughs> an enlightened being at 13C. But yeah, any any route that's like seems super important to you right. to do, you know, you you end up doing the route, and then all of a sudden, that that whatever that status is that you think that you could have in the community, or whatever satisfaction you think comes with that success, you know, quickly reveals itself to be very elusive and ephemeral mm-hmm. and it disappears and then you're on to the next one and you create you know meaning in the, in that next adventure that you concoct for yourself right and i think that there's also something to 
the fact that climbing is an outdoor sport that makes it more durable than something like CrossFit. Right. Like there's, there's something about challenges that are set or based in nature that sort of, you know, they're not man-made. I don't know what it is. I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not sure where I'm going with that, but I'm just, my instinct is that that's like, that's the core difference is that our measurements are not something that you can just, you know, replicate, you know, across, you know, 50,000 gyms across the country. Right. It's like, no, you have to go to X crag or X mountain and do, you know, Y route. And that's what makes it special because right. it's like you, no one made that. It's, it's just there for you to, to seize. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I think it's also that, that again, if you go back into sort of history and back into prehistory, like, you know, living with or battling against nature, you know, was survival until the modern age, right? And again, not not that long ago, you know, and, and much of the, the world still does, right? We're living in the United States here or, or wherever you're listening, but in, a, you know, countries and places where climbing can be an option because survival is is somewhat assured, you know, a day-to-day survival. But if you think about like, every day was sort of like, okay, well, how are we going to deal with nature? And, and that's always been my, my sort of joke. It's like the reason we climb is because we're not challenged like that every day. You didn't literally just didn't have the extra calories to put into a, something like climbing up a mountain when you just spent every waking hour looking for food or hunting for food. You know, there was like very little leisure time. So I think, I mean, I think it, our our continued fascination with exploration and even space, you know, is, is about nature. It's about fighting the elements now that, that apply themselves in space. Those great adventures, whether they're on the ocean or it's still the thing that I think speaks to our deepest, like sort of memory. The other interesting thing about climbing that I think differentiates itself from other sports, especially mountain sports, is that it's one of the only ones that fights gravity. So skiing or so many of these other sports are about letting, like reaching a point where you let your body be Mm -hmm. just pulled by the natural forces of the world. Right. And there's like fun and enjoyment in that. And climbing is very much an antagonistic of that. It's, it's about fighting against, you know, it's, it's about struggle, you know, and yeah, I don't know. I think that that would that in itself is where the meaning maybe percolates to the, the surface. Struggle. It's about the struggle. Yeah, for sure. I was just listening to this other podcast about like simulation theories and like whether we're living in the matrix or not, but <laughs> like basically like if you created a matrix where everything was it was this part of the movie The Matrix, I can't remember, but if you created the matrix where everyone was happy and everything was perfect, the people rebelled against it. Mm-hmm. Like there's something in us that craves that struggle. I think a better analogy would be um would be Logan's run. Yeah. <laughs> Sci-fi analogy. Yeah, yeah. Where even though this this there is this world where everything was provided for you, like some people want to get out and go yes. and live in the harsh outside, you know. Yes, but they also want they they find the they they want to do that because the meaning is in the struggle sure. of the of that life choice. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, the Brave New World is it would be another classic example yeah. of like everything's taken care of, and then you still aren't satisfied. 
you know, I, I think, I mean, in, back to this whole story thing, which we started with, is, um, is that I think the struggle is really like the final ultimate trope in, in, in a climbing story. Right. Is, you know, you don't want, it's not a story about how it was easy for you. Right. Like, it's never that story, because that's not Nobody an cares. interesting story. Yeah. Nobody cares. Yeah. And even stories where, you know, I think that get picked apart that feel manufactured, I mean, that's oftentimes like the criticism of, oh, well, you know, you had a privileged life. Like, you know what I mean? Like that criticism where someone's like, well, that guy, of course, he's, you know, was successful. He's like, you know, this privileged white guy that gets to just climb all the time. And it's like that criticism is basically saying like you didn't struggle enough. Mm. I don't like your story because there's not enough struggle. Mm. So you're onto it, man. The struggle. You got to have the fucking struggle. Yeah, I think that's that's obvious. I mean, there's no there's no good book or no good movie that doesn't show struggle. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like it's struggle and conflict and that conflict is is the is the driver of all plots. Right. And um and so every good climbing story has to have those elements. Yeah, and it's interesting that you brought up gravity cuz there's our there's our ultimate foil or ultimate yeah. uh you know that's the thing we can always turn to as the adversary if you will I the elements it, and 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 i call it the yeah, element gravity. who shall not be named the element that shall not be named <laughs> <laughs> i don't actually say that okay <laughs> that was a bad joke and i apologize well, for everyone having to hear that what was a reference to oh uh, i think it's a harry potter thing <laughs> i've been watching a lot of harry potter with with piper lately <laughs> <laughs> there's some good stories right there yeah right? yeah there's some more hero myths for you anyway good on you for finding climbing as your struggle reason why life meaning mm-hmm. and um and we're happy that um our podcast is also part of your daily struggle <laughs> for discovering why you love climbing yeah you're like god i'm struggling to get through this part of fucking of the run out tonight (laughs) you're welcome sean villanueva odriscoll is part man part wild animal This feral Belgian mountaineer currently inhabits Argentine Patagonia, where he recently soloed the Fitz Traverse in reverse, which Colin Haley dubbed the most impressive solo ever done in Patagonia. Strong words coming from Haley, who might otherwise hold that honor himself. And yet, as your fleshy, soft ears are about to hear, they hardly do the deed justice. So, Sean, what the fuck were you thinking? <laughs> I'm joking, but what you did is just so impressive and kind of insane to me that um, I thought I'd just kick it off with the blunt question of what the fuck yeah. were you thinking? <laughs> yeah, I think I, I was thinking the same thing, really. When the first time that thought, the, the thought came to my mind, you know, I, I kind of got stuck here in El Chalten with the, with the pandemic and everything. Like I was supposed to fly back to Europe end of March. And then, um, yeah, the whole shit show came down and all the flights got cancelled and I, I kind of got stuck here. And then I was like, wow, this is 
it's so awesome to be here. So I might as well stay here since everything in Europe was bad. I've always thought like the, to do the whole Fitzroy and Traverse would be pretty cool, you know, would be a pretty good ad- adventure. But obviously I was thinking of doing it as a, as a team. And then at one point here during the winter, like the winter nights are very, very long. The thought came <laughs> into my mind like to try and do it on my own. Honestly, I, that's exactly what I was thinking. I was like, what the fuck am I thinking? Like, this is fucking stupid. Like, this is, this is completely un, unrealistic and impossible and, and, uh, and stupid. But I thought, it doesn't hurt to dream, you know. So I started, I started dreaming about it and looking through the guidebook and seeing if I could puzzle it all together. And I was taking notes and putting everything together, but without even really thinking it was ever going to happen, you know. And then at one point I was like, shit i think this is possible and i was like yeah this is this is possible this is totally doable i started i started believing it was possible which yeah and then i I was like okay i i I thought i needed 10 days to do it because like tommy and and alex they they pretty much simul climbed everything and they needed five days you know and they're the fastest some of the fastest climbers around you know so i thought i'd probably need 10 days on my own since it's so much work you know rope soloing but i said i'm, I'm never going to get a 10 day so i said okay if i get a six day i'll give it a try and uh i yeah right on my birthday like i got a six day i got a six day weather window and i was like all right let's give it a try and uh yeah i don't know it just feels like everything just fell into place like i'd been thinking about it for a year i'd been preparing for it without even thinking that it was ever really going to happen you know I, I'd, I'd prepared um, rations and I'd prepared the gear put it aside already just in case that window would come and I'd been mentally thinking about it for yeah almost a year and visualizing it and trying to see what I would do in every section and then and then when that window came I was like I got really really excited and I was like oh this is it you know and I was like okay let's let's go up there and and have an experience and have some fun you know and yeah i i was i i i was just inspired to go up there and have that solo experience of being up there alone in the mountains and and moving over the terrain and yeah are you familiar with the film Apocalypse Now? Yeah, 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 yeah. I've seen it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just the, when you were describing that, I just saw I saw in my mind the whole opening <laughs> montage. Oh, uh, you know where he's like freaking out in his bedroom, and then he like punches the mirror in the end, and, like, and then finally you like clear like thirty wine bottles off of a table and like get the maps out and, and start actually making the plan. Um, anyway, you could use that in, in, if there is ever a film about it. Um, <laughs> just like no, and then yeah. And then no, and the fan going around in the ceiling. Um, anyway, yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm so not sure that quite describes the scene, but um, I get, I get, I get the relation. Yeah. Well, what I'd like to ask you a little bit about is is just the um, you know this is a real climby podcast. We we're talking to climbers, so we we can get into the weeds about how it was done. But you know what what kind of climbing were you encountering? You know what kind of stuff were you just you know, soloing, what kind of stuff were you breaking the ropes out for? I mean, what did it kind of look like? Snow, rock, ice? Can you get into sort of some of the the moments in there where you were encountering different types of terrain and different types of techniques that you were using to, to get across it um, with speed? Yeah, definitely. Well, 
well, first of all, I have to say, like, I was, I was really, really, really very lucky. Like, really lucky with the conditions. I was lucky with many things, but like with the conditions and the weather forecast. Like when when Tommy and Alex did their traverse, it was one of the wettest uh, seasons ever. So they encountered a lot of ice and cracked like uh, ice and cracks and a lot of snow and stuff like that. And this is one of the driest seasons. So there, it was, even though I was climbing south faces, which which here in the south, southern hemisphere doesn't get any sun, so you, you would expect it to be like the, the worst condition, uh, the faces with the worst conditions. The conditions were, were really good and the temperature was really good. Like I never really got cold. Yeah, I, I made some really lucky decisions to stop at the right places, which uh, helped me avoid to get like, soaking wet or um or to get uh, stuck in high winds and stuff like that so yeah the conditions were really good and i mean there's the there's no really hard climbing like i had i had a a big margin in in all in all the climbing i think the big difficulty is obviously moving with such a heavy backpack over such terrain and then also the route finding and stuff like that and some of those ridges and, and things like that but yeah as i like anything that that I consider this uh, scrambling. I would throw the backpack on and scramble with, with the backpack. But this this pack was really heavy. Like it was too heavy for solo climbing or anything like that. So as soon as it like it right. got vertical and there was like any climbing, I I, I I certainly wouldn't hesitate to break out the rope. Yeah, I, I was using a, a grigri and I would just um, like climb up, putting in protection and wrap down to clean and then uh, either climb back up or jumar back up on the rope. And then haul the bag up, or, or Jumar with the bag, depending. And then do it all again. I was just really focused on like keeping a, a, a rhythm, you know, just keep mm -hmm. the rhythm. Before I started off on the traverse, I would tell myself, this is a marathon, not a sprint. So enjoy the moment mm -hmm. and, and keep, keep rhythm, you know. And I, I would really focus on not trying to go too fast, but just keep, keep, keep a rhythm, you know. And I, so, so the whole time when I was like rope soloing, I I would just keep moving, you know, and I would allow myself a handful of um, trail mix after I finished every pitch, for example, you know, just a quick handful and then keep moving, keep moving, keep moving. And that, that was it, really. I was doing just mostly long days and just, uh, yeah, just focus on the moment, focus on my breathing and focus on keep moving. And How many of those summits were new summits for you and how many had you climbed before? I, I hadn't done uh, Raphael. And some of the smaller summits, I, well, all the smaller summits I hadn't done. So I hadn't done like Caquito, uh, Valbois, and Guichemin South. So I guess that's four, four summits. I, so I had done De La Esse, Saint Exubery, in an attempt that I did in end of November. I did a, a small, it was more like a, a reconnaissance attempt just to see how far, like if I could move well soloing and uh, just to get like to take a look at those first two peaks because it was a small window and i and then I, I had to stop then because of strong winds so i did de la s exubri i'd done points and not we did two new routes on that last last year with nico i'd done fitzroy a couple of times um i'd done mermoz and i'd done guichemin and when you do the traverse the way that you climbed it the the moonwalk uh is that uh, and you, you mentioned that you're on south faces pri primarily. Does that mean that Tommy and Alex, their traverse is primarily climbing on north faces and wrapping down the south faces? Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Maybe on paper, if you look at the numbers, 
probably what Tommy and Alex uh, did looks a little bit uh, harder, more difficult, because uh, the grades on the north face of, um, of Fitzroy, the Casarotto pillar, but that's the biggest face on, on, that, on the traverse that they did. And the grades are a little higher there. But I think the climbing is very straightforward. It's just beautiful cracks. So there's not so much issues with route finding. And I think the way I did it maybe has a more difficult uh, route finding difficulties. Yeah, I mean, Ro- Rolo, Ro- in Rolo's opinion, they're the same. Like, the, there's not, there wouldn't be much difference. I think I was just really, really lucky with the conditions. Like I said, the conditions were really good. I mean, luck is obviously this huge thing in alpinism and in climbing, and particularly in Patagonian climbing, um, from what I understand. But, uh, but I mean, at the same time, even you just listing the routes you had um, or the summits you'd already done, it was, you know, you've, you've spent a career, I think, in a lot of ways positioning yourself to be someone that does something like this. You know, it's not... It's not like uh, you were just, you know, screwing around sport climbing for the last 20 years and then decided to do the uh, the Fitz Traverse <laughs> backwards. So, you know, I mean, not, not obviously luck is a huge thing and, and um, you know, you, you want to express some humility around what you did. But um, certainly you're in a position in the world as, as a preeminent climber down there to, to tackle something like this. Uh, yeah, this is, uh, yeah, definitely like... Um... Yeah, more than twenty-five. I mean, it's a culmination, and yeah, yeah, more than twenty-five Sorry, years uh, of uh, of experience and lots of like adventure mm-hmm. climbing. I think that's kind of where I I feel most at home, like like adventure mm-hmm. climbing. Like I've been I've been bouldering and sport climbing a lot here in El Chalten, but yeah, for some reason when I got when when the season started here and I got back up into into the mountains and I was like adventure climbing up in the mountains. Like it just felt so natural, and it, I felt uh, it felt um, yeah. If like it, it really feels like it's my thing, you know. Obviously, yeah, years of uh, expedition experience and things like that. How much um, experience do you have as a solo, like a rope soloist, on this kind of terrain? Have you done a lot of that kind of climbing, or has has it been primarily with like other partners? No, yeah, I've mostly been climbing with uh, other with other climbing partners like i've been very lucky it's 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 not very difficult for me to find like some really good awesome climbing partners obviously like nico my buddy nico like yeah if i have any project or anything like that you know he he and we we've been climbing together since we started so we like and we're a very very efficient team so yeah yeah so yeah, I've been I've been really lucky with climbing partners, and so I I've been very inspired by um, the solo climbing that uh, Silvia Vidal does. She, she's a, 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 a girl from um, from Spain who's done like who she goes off and does these expeditions where she's like thirty days on her own on this big wall out in the middle of nowhere with no contact and everything like that. And she's a good friend of mine, and and that's all that's always inspired and. Uh, that's always inspired me and i i've been thinking like wow i'd I'd love to do an adventure like that and uh yeah somehow like kind of being stuck here in el chalten i'm not really stuck because i could have made it back if i wanted to but i was just happy here but just being here on my own without my regular climbing partners and yeah this kind of was the opportunity you know i could i mean i could have easily found some locals to go climbing with no no bother but this kind of was the, the opportunity for me to do this uh, this solo adventure, and obviously I, I've had this thing in mind. I've had this. Uh, I would like in. I've had this plan in mind to do something solo for a while. So, so every once in a while I would practice maybe on a on a 
on some uh, some single pitch stuff. I would practice my my rope soloing, but yeah, very very little uh, experience rope soloing. So definitely the logistics of uh, bringing that pack over that terrain and stuff like that. I was kind of um, adjusting as I was going along and learning as I was going along. What would you do different now if you, now that you have this um, all this experience? What would what would be the advice or just tactic that you would change given what you know now uh well certainly at at the beginning i had a haul bag and i had a backpack and so like when it was scrambling i would put everything into the backpack hang the haul bag out outside on the like on the outside of my backpack and so I, i had one backpack and then as soon as it was climbing i would put the heavy stuff in the haul bag and the lighter stuff in the backpack, I would climb with the light backpack and then haul up the haul bag. And that was very inefficient because I had to repack, you know, sometimes after every pitch, depending on the strategy, I was going to do the next pitch on. So that was very uh, inefficient. Uh, at, the, at the same time, like I wasn't, uh, I wasn't really trying to be uh, as efficient as possible because uh, I, like I was really trying to focus on that experience of being up there on my own and enjoying that kind of experience. And I think if I, if I would have focused too much and like being efficient and everything like that, I think maybe I personally I would have lost a little bit of that part of uh, tr- trying to live the experience. When you're really like looking for the experience, obviously efficiency and performance are not that important. You're just up there to have to be up there. Yeah, so I, I would try and not focus too much on being efficient, but just like okay, let's go up there and have some fun. Yeah, I mean, I just talked to, uh, happened to just talk to Pete Whitaker, uh, who, you know, did that amazing one day solo, rope solo of, of the free rider. And we actually talked a bit about that. And I still have kind of this, you know, sort of mind blown experience of, of just thinking about like, you know, I made a joke of like, there's just physics involved. You have to move molecules from one place to another. And like, it takes a while. Um, but it's interesting because his experience with the rope soloing, you know, the one thing he said, you know, he's like, I, I don't rope solo because I love rope soloing. He's like, it was something that allowed me to to do this goal that I had, um, you know, pointing out that he also has this really great partner in Tom Randall that's always game for whatever he wants to do. Um, it's also funny because his, you know, his preparations rope soloing sounded exactly the same. And I've, I've definitely heard this before of like, yeah, you know, I sort of like figured it out, but then figured I'd figure it out even better once I actually try to do the thing I was trying to do, like, it doesn't seem like anyone just spends months and months like refining their rope soloing so they can get these things done. It's like, okay, this is how it works. You got to do this and it gets tangled there. And okay, I sort of got it. Like I'm out of here. Yeah, um, that's exactly, but yeah, I, I, that, that's exactly yeah, it. Yeah, like, 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 like in reality, like rope soloing isn't much fun. You know, it's a lot of work. It's very, it's, uh, it's mm-hmm. a lot of logistics, rope logistics and everything like that. But uh, yeah, just like you said, I think the key, the, what's really important is to just accept that this is going to be part of the, the game and the experience. And mm-hmm. so you just accept whatever comes, you know, if your rope gets stuck or if the haul bag gets stuck, you accept this and you just deal with it, you know, and you just, uh, but, but yeah, that's, that's exactly it. Like, so I, I accepted that as part of the experience and I was like, okay, whatever happens, happens. So when the rope got stuck or anything bad happened, the haul bag getting stuck and, or all the work, all the, the work I need to do pitches, you know, cover the ground three times, you know, do pitches twice. You know, you don't get frustrated about it or anything like that. You're just, okay, this is it. Let's deal mm-hmm. with it. 
Let's do it. So it sounds like the bivvies were pretty special, you know, and, and thinking about, uh, you know, I've, I've rope soloed um, eight climbs on El Cap and, and, and just thinking about that focus that you do have throughout the day, there's like this, regardless of what you're trying to accomplish efficiency wise, you have to stay focused and like in this kind of very narrow world of like, how do I get this done? And, you know, each step and making sure the ropes are this way. And, you know, there's all this efficiency things that go into it. But then the evenings I'd imagine, or when you did pull out to bivy, probably were pretty uh, mind awakening experiences for you. Um, so what was it like to, you know, to find these incredible spots and, and bivy up in these mountains that you love so much by yourself? Yeah, just magical, you know, very, very strong experience. And again, I was really lucky in like finding I felt like every bivy I had was very comfortable and very good. Like, uh, so I was really lucky in finding like the perfect ledge every time, every night. And, uh, yeah, the whole time during the whole ascent, I was like, I was, uh, full of energy and very energized and just very motivated and psyched to be, be there, you know? And, uh, there was, there was two days I, I stopped early. There was one day I stopped early. It was on my birthday and, uh, it like, uh, I got to the base of Fitzroy to La Breccia, uh, which is a really big, comfortable call. It was early, but I knew that if I would keep going, it would be very difficult to find a good spot to uh, to bivy on Fitzroy, like on the face. And I wasn't sure that I was going to make it to the summit. And uh, I was like, okay, let's take half a day and rest here for, for half the day. And uh, and later that afternoon, some, some people came down off Fitzroy, off the Franco, and uh, they said it was soaking wet, like it was a waterfall. So I was, I was, I, I was lucky that I stopped there because otherwise I would have been soaking wet and everything would have been a lot harder. And the next day when I started climbing in the morning, everything was dry and it was perfect conditions. So, so that, so I was really lucky there. And then, and then when I got to the summit of Fitzroy, it was very windy and I started rappelling, but uh, it was dangerous with those high winds. It was kind of dangerous to rappel off the north face. So again, I stopped early and I found this perfect little ledge that just barely fit my tent. It was beautiful. And I stopped early and I could enjoy like the sunset. You get like this, um, the shade of Fitzroy. You get this like this, this shadow in the distance and then it just kind of disappears into a pyramid. And it's just an incredible sunset. Like, and yeah, those moments are, and yeah, I was, I was very happy that I got to sit there and enjoy that moment and like really soak it all in and, and uh, and then the next the next day the winds had stopped had, had gone down so I could I could repel without those high winds which was a lot safer and a lot less uh, uh, intensive. But yeah, but most days I, I would stop like at um, just uh, at the end of the day like when the when the when the light was fading and then I would have to start you know melting snow to make water and stuff like that. I was kind of busy at that point at those evenings just melting water and 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 by the time I'd finished eating and making water for the next day it was past midnight and then I would sleep and and I woke up every day before my alarm clock like around four or five o'clock I would wake up and I would be like full of energy like yeah this is fucking awesome let's get going yeah this is like I was so psyched the whole time like the only time I felt the fatigue was on the after I'd done the last repel that's you know that when I touched the ground I was like oh damn I'm I'm actually tired but before that i was i was just <laughs> right. uh, i think yeah i think like just because it was kind of like a, dr- a dream for me like and I, I visualized it so many so many times during this uh winter here uh yeah i was just so psyched to be there but uh yeah yeah i mean 
the BV spots were just, just, yeah, just, uh, just pure magic. Earlier, Chris and I were kind of joking about the idea of birthday challenges and is, you know, doing something, you know, special or hard or just kind of like a big sending a big goal for yourself on your birthday. And that's, you know, it's kind of like a fun way to spend your birthday. Like I, I turned 40 this year, Chris is turning 50. We've, we've talked about doing the, a respective number of pitches on those days. You know, we were, we were just kind of curious if, if this idea for you kind of was in some way rooted around crossing into this new decade, if there was any motivation around the birthday or if that was just purely coincidental. Yeah, pure coincidence. I mean, you can't, you can't, uh, I mean, if you were writing a script, you couldn't have invented it better, you know, to get a six day window right on my birthday. <laughs> you know, it's absolutely incredible. Like, like I can't get over how everything just fell into place. But uh, I mean, yeah, that was just pure coincidence. I mean, I, I mean, I, I, did, I couldn't, I could never know that I was going to get a window on my birthday, you know. And, but yeah, definitely, like going to forty, it kind of feels like um, a milestone, you know. Yeah, so it was special. It was very special, and uh, I enjoyed it. And it was, it was very special too when I got back down. Uh, my my family, my 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 sister, and all my friends, they had made a, a video for me, like with birthday wishes. Uh, like a 40 minute video, like of them all, you know, wishing me happy birthday or singing or, or doing something stupid or climbing a tree or doing something stupid. And it was 40 minutes, like ex-girlfriends, friends, cousins, uh, <laughs> you know, sister, like all the family and all the friends. It was incredible. Like, and uh, yeah, I, I was very, very moved by that. I was, well, yeah, it really touched me. Well, yeah, I mean, that, that must have been amazing because it's, uh, it's also interesting, you know, like you were just saying how you all of a sudden when you were done and you were, uh, you know, relatively on the ground after the last rappel, like the exhaustion came rolling in. And um, I, I've also found it's really interesting how the you become, or at least my experience is you become kind of really emotionally raw all of a sudden. Like you, you've, you've had this kind of like, again, this focus or this armor up of like, you know, let's not you know contemplate too hard what i'm up to right here and how committed i am and then it can be uh it can be a couple few days or i don't even longer of this kind of wild sort of like yeah kind of a little more of a raw or open state that that, that thanks you did you sort of experience that yeah totally yeah yeah i was very emotional afterwards yeah like like i said i i saw that video it really touched me and then, then you know the next the next day you know i have this little routine where i I, I walked to the river uh, in the morning when I wake up. And so I, I, I got up and I started walking to the river. And at one point, I, I just like I just fell down on my knees and I started crying. Like I just fucking I haven't cried in, in 20 years or whatever. I just and I was just just out of gratefulness, just pure. I was so grateful. Yeah. So definitely very emotional. For Yeah, definitely very emotional after the whole thing. And yeah and then yeah it was just incredible like you know all, all the people here in El Chalten were uh very supportive and like they they would like I mean these are all these people here had become friends you know over the last year and you know uh, it was it was uh it was uh very strong yeah yeah I'd love to hear just what the climbing scene is like this season in Patagonia is there is, are there a lot of people or is it very low traffic because of the pandemic? No, it's extremely low traffic. Like uh, 
foreigners aren't allowed in the country without a like a special permit or whatever so there's no there's no there's no foreign climbers except for the people like like me who gets got stuck here there's maybe three or four people like me you know who stayed here who decided to stay here for the year besides that it's all locals you know or or or, or maybe people from argentina that come down for the uh, from from barry Loche or something that come down for the for the for a, any for a window but it's it's all locals really so the scene is is very small you like there's not many people up in the mountains and uh yeah we i mean we have the whole place to ourselves it's incredible and like uh, during the whole traverse i, I crossed uh, three teams they were all people i'd spend the year uh, year with you know bouldering and sport climbing and so yeah it was awesome to cross them and yeah good vibes and uh yeah i mean the the community here the climbing community here is is is, is incredible you know they they really like they didn't like there was no they took me in this year and like they accepted me as one of their own you know yeah something i i i mean i don't definitely i definitely don't take that for granted you know they they will share anything with me you know any gear i need cuz obviously i was thinking of stay- i was i was only planning on staying here for two or three months and i stayed here more than a year so all my gear got kind of used i didn't have uh, all my clothes and everything and yeah they they share everything with me you know food anything they they'll share anything with me and they yeah, they're, um, it's the community here is is in El Chaltén, the climbing communities. It's a really really good vibe. There was a mention that Rolo lent yeah. you rope. Is that right? Yeah. So I was thinking he should start some sort of kiosk at the base yeah. of the Pitch Traverse where he just rents out gear to people. Considering you know the famous story of him handing over some crampons to, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. to Honold so he could get yeah, it yeah. done as well. Yeah, so. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Like I, I hadn't told anybody about this, uh, this traverse, like, or that I was planning in doing this, or that it was on my mind. I hadn't told anybody because I, I was convinced that they would think that I'm completely crazy, you know, that this is a, a stupid idea. So I, I hadn't told anybody. But then, obviously, on, the, on the morning before I left, I, I thought, well, I, I'm gonna, I, I better tell somebody so they know where I am. So I told my, my buddy Juan on whose land I'm living. I told him, and then I, I went over to Rolo because. Because Rolo obviously is very knowledgeable about the weather, and I wanted to know um, his advice on the on the winds on certain days because it was supposed to be windy on some days, and so I, I just wanted to get his advice. And honestly, I I was afraid to tell him what my plan was because I I was like he's going to try and talk me out of it, or and so I t- I just told him I'm I'm going to start on De La S and I'm just going to see how far I, I get, you know. And immediately he was like, "Oh, I think that's a brilliant idea. That's a great idea." And he immediately he asked me what what kind of gear I had, and he's like, "No, no, that's not the right gear." And he handed me his his, his better gear, and then he's like, "What rope do you have?" And I said, "I have that rope." He's like, "That's not a good rope for what you're planning and doing." And he's like, "Hang on, hang on." And he pulled out like his best rope. I could tell like that he'd been saving this rope, he, uh, brand new best rope. You know, it's like he was handing me the keys to his Ferrari. You know, and. Uh, <laughs> So he, he gives me this rope and I'm I'm climbing with this rope the first day and I'm like, wow, this rope is awesome. It's so good. It's so good. And the first day I, I had some rock fall and I had some core shots in my rope and I was like, fuck, Rolo's rope. How am I going to give this back to Rolo? You know, I just crashed his Ferrari, you know. I was like, oh no, Rolo's rope. And I was so worried about like having to give him back this rope, you know. And I completely destroyed uh, this rope. You know, this is a lifetime worth of climbing, you know, over six days. So I completely destroyed this rope. Yeah. And on the very last rappel, uh, like I, I just taped up the core shots so I couldn't see them. And, and I, I, I was really like 
being careful, like trying to unweigh the rope when I was rappelling past the core shots and things like that. And on the very last rappel, the, like the, the, the sheet came off the core, like it just tore off. And I, and I was like, ah, and I went back, I got down to the ground and I was like, thank God, it's all uh, walking from here on, you know. And, I, and then I was like, uh, Rolo, I think, I think your, your dry treatment isn't working on your rope anymore, you know. And so, and so I gave him back the rope. I was like, oh, shit. And he, he was like, oh, this is awesome. This is, a, 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 you know, this is going to be for a museum or something. You know, this is a part of history now. Right. So, yeah. So that was funny. Well, we can announce a GoFundMe to, uh, to get Roll a new rope um, <laughs> here, on, here on the run out. If people want to uh, contribute a little bit, uh, we can send it. I'm, I'm, I'm sure uh, it's fine. Yeah, um, I'm going to make sure that, he gets a new rope yeah. for that. Yeah, for sure. I'm going to place him. Okay, cool. It's no problem. <laughs> yeah, that's brilliant. That is so brilliant. Um, yeah, he's become quite the ambassador down there and um, has just a, a, an amazing reputation um, and respect, I think, across the world for for what he's become down there in, in Patagonia and Shaltan. Yeah, I mean, he's a, he's a, probably the guy who, well, he, I think he's the guy who knows the place best, you know, and he's very knowledgeable on the weather and everything. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, he's got all the beta, you know. He's very um, sharing with his knowledge and with uh, inform- any information, mm-hmm. you know, and anything like that. And obviously, for me now, too, like, his, his guidebook was um, was a huge part in, like, dreaming about it and preparing about it for me you know for 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 this for this uh adventure so um yeah just his his i think his guidebook is just like a source of uh motivation you know it just it just it's very inspiring his guidebook is just like uh yeah when you're like going through it you just want to go up there and and uh and and have an adventure we just mentioned nico earlier um and you know you guys have this really storied partnership that you know we've got to enjoy in in your media um as well as just the history of what you guys have gotten done what was the what was sort of the message and uh the feeling that you got from nico after you got done uh yeah i mean i think that's i mean yeah i mean it's uh i mean i think that's probably the most important i mean or the the reaction that touched me most you know yeah I mean, uh, I think he's one of the first people I called. I hadn't told him anything. I hadn't told him about this plan. I hadn't told mm-hmm. anybody, like I said. So, and uh, yeah, he was just like, uh, yeah. I, I mean, he's just like extremely happy. I mean, yeah. He, he's. I mean, he says he had tears in his eyes of happiness, you know, for for me. And uh, yeah, I'm. I mean, I'm just super grateful. Obviously, uh, a lot of what I've become like the climber and, and the person that I've become is like, thanks to him. You know, we spent a lot of time together. We've uh, had some huge adventures together. We've evolved as, as climbers, you know, we, we, we met each other at the climbing gym in Brussels, you know, and so we were climbing indoors and then we've, we evolved like the sports climbers and then started climbing bigger walls together and doing expeditions together. So, so we, we've influenced each other a lot and obviously he's influenced me a lot and, yeah, I mean, I'm just uh, super grateful for, to him for like, for for all like for all those for everything I've learned and uh, everything I've done with him, and uh, yeah, he yeah he was uh, he was in- incredible, you know, like he's he was very happy for me, and uh, I mean, he said that he wasn't surprised surprised, you know, that this is like a uh, that he knows that this is my. Um, my forte, you know, my what I'm really good at, kind of that kind mm-hmm. of adventure climbing. So 
yeah i mean i'm 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 very touched by his reaction and uh yeah i mean he's a he's a great friend and the best climbing partner anybody could wish for or I, that i could wish for anyway you know we're like right. when we climb together we're we're very efficient and uh, i feel that like anytime i climb with him i can really like i can really push it you know i can i can like we we're just very efficient together and and uh I can go places with him that, like that, that with a lot of other people, uh, I might not be able to go. You know. Yeah. Well, um, Sean. I mean, your your status in the climbing world is one of you know you're not the hardest climber in the world or anything like that, but you you're sort of this ambassador for a, a lifestyle and an approach and and maybe just a spirit toward adventure that I think is. I almost want to call you a dying breed, but in a way that's um, you're more of a, a living breed or something like that. And uh, I just appreciate so much that people like you are still around and still exist and are still inspiring the rest of us with this with this approach to the sport because it's just yeah, it's, I think it's just so wonderful. And um, I'm happy that you got this uh, you know this big tick under your belt, but. It's also just um, an opportunity to, you know, celebrate you as as a as a climber of your lifetime approach to the sport. So, and I'm, I'm just glad to be a part of shining the spotlight on on what I consider to be just a, a great way to 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 interact with with what climbing can offer. Uh, thank you very much, Andrew. I mean, uh, yeah, it makes me very happy, and I mean, that, those are very powerful words, and. Um... Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's not, it, it, yeah, I'm, I think I'm just, I, I just feel very grateful and I'm just very happy to be uh, in this position. But I remember this, this one slideshow that we did, for example, where we were in, in, in Banff and we did, uh, we did a slideshow with Nico and, and, and the rest of the lads. And usually when we do slideshows, you know, we don't think about it too much. We're just uh, like, we're just trying to have fun and we play music and make jokes and we just try to make the people laugh. And I think, a lot of people there were blown away, you know, they had, it, it wasn't what they were expecting, you know, for a slideshow or whatever. And they were like blown away. And afterwards we got a lot of positive reactions. And I just think of one of the reactions, one, one guy came up to me and he says, wow, that was absolutely incredible. That was uh, one of the most amazing slideshows I've ever seen. Your, your marketing strategy is just perfect. It's almost perfect. Your marketing strategy is almost perfect. Like mixing the climbing and the music and the humor. Your marketing strategy is, is almost perfect. And I was like, what? Marketing strategy? Like that's the, yeah. So I thought, I thought that was uh, very, very funny and kind of world upside down, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm just very grateful to be here, and uh, I feel very privileged. And uh, yeah, yeah. Well, we look we look forward to uh, future climbs that you can market <laughs> to you, yeah. all of us. So, right. what, what's what's do you have any? Do you have any whatever you, you, you whatever your your Fifth Avenue uh, your PR company is telling you to do next is we're excited to see whatever that happens to be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Listen, Sean, we've got this really great idea. <laughs> We're going to fly to New York. We've got, we've got a presentation for you on your next climb. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I saw a video of you um, doing some kind of like savage Viking oh, yeah, workout yeah. where you're, you know, throwing tree, tree trunks around and stuff like that. And I thought, you know, this is just Sean, you know, making a joke. But then I was like, huh, this could actually be his workout that he's doing, that he's... <laughs> This is his version of moonboarding down in El Chaltan is throwing tree trunks around. Yeah. 
Um, was that serious or is that, I mean, uh, is that a joke? Yeah, I mean, I'm afraid that's kind of my training. Yeah, I mean, um, <laughs> I mean, obviously, I made the video because I thought it would be funny and kind of a joke. But yeah, I've been doing this all, all winter. Like all, all winter, I, I was going for runs here and lifting heavy tree trunks and doing push-ups and pull-ups in the cold and and like uh, facing the cold conditions. And I, I I would go swimming in the river every every single day the whole winter. Like even when it was like minus ten degrees Celsius and minus twenty, and there was a meter of snow and whatever, I would go and and go swimming in the river. You know. You know, it wasn't always easy. You know, some days I would wake up and you know feel bad or not not feel like doing it. But you know, I, once I start moving, a lot of the times it, it feels good. And and then the the winter passed and the spring came and and I hadn't filmed it at all. And I was like, ah, I should I should have kind of I kind of wish I would have filmed some of that. It would have been kind of funny to make a little video with it. So in the springtime, I I brought my camera along a few times and 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 filmed a little bit and I put it to some like rocky music, rocky. And uh, I put a video together, and I mean, it just—I thought it was very funny. Kind of made me laugh. So, uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, I'm—I'm I'm afraid. Yeah, that's—I mean, my training isn't very um, structured or anything. It's probably not the most efficient or anything like that. But uh, I mean, it's—it's—it's—it's—I uh, enjoy it. It's—it's it's fun and. Uh, well, you know the wide boys, they yeah. have their crack volumes, right? That they invented in their cellar. Maybe you could market a whole like line <laughs> exactly. of tree stumps that you could sell. Just like you could people could just order like a, you know, like a four board yeah. feet worth of freaking log that shows up at yeah. their house. That in sounds a big box. Yeah, that sounds like a, Yeah, that sounds like I could make some money off that. Yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll yeah. have to talk to your marketing team about Yeah, we'll have to mar- talk to your marketing team and see see where that goes, but uh, I appreciate Appreciate it. Yeah, uh, I th- it sounds like I should be in charge of marketing. Actually, um, between my apocalypse yeah. now filming and and your uh, and the 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 you know the log sounds the, good. The yeah, climbing log. Um, we'll be rich. Yeah, yeah. Tired. Show me the money. Show me the money. <laughs> How would you feel if the runout just disappeared one day? Would you gnash your teeth and weep, pull your hair out and cry into the night? Or would you simply shrug your shoulders and think, meh, another pair of washed-up climbers silenced in the abysmal maw of the internet? Well, if you're in the former group, and maybe even in the latter, then consider supporting the runout by going to patreon.com slash runoutpodcast and signing up to be a runout rope gun. In addition to keeping the normal spray coming, the runout rope guns are treated to scintillating bonus content, like the recent Celebrity Deathmatch episode, where the runout runs down the history of Hollywood's toe-dipping and climbing, who's legit, and who's just posing for TMZ. So get on board with the lifestyle choice that is the runout, and go to patreon.com slash runoutpodcast today. Today's final bit comes from climber Kaya Lindsay. Kaya is a freelance writer-photographer and OG van lifer, if there is such a thing, who can be found on Instagram at OneChickTravels. Kaya enjoys off-withs, working on her 2006 Dodge Sprinter, and recording ukulele jams for crusty climbing podcasters. Our hats off on International Women's Day to this courageous young woman defying norms and slaying cracks all over the West. My name is Kaya Lindsay, and this is Mike Clark and the Sugar Sounds.
the song Good Love. Well, I've had beginners, I've had sinners, and sweethearts too sweet for me to eat for dinner. And I've had hard love, oh, you gotta work so hard for that hard love, praying to the Lord above, won't you bring me one good love? Bring me one good love, bring me one good love, bring me one good love to last rest of my days. I met the devil's daughter, oh you know she kept me standing in that hot water, and I nearly met her father, oh I wonder why I even bother. I've had a troubled love, oh you get in so much trouble with a troubled love. Praying to the Lord above, won't you bring me one good love? Bring me one good love, bring me one good love, bring me one good love to last best of my days. Bring me one good love, bring me one good love, bring me one good love to last best of my days. Oh, and I waiting with open arms when I be waiting with open heart when I be waiting with open arms for my love for my love bring me one good love bring me one good love bring me one good love to last rest of my Bring me one good love, bring me one good love, bring me one good love to last best my days. You've just completed another episode of The Runout, a podcast from the sharp end of climbing. I'm Andrew Bisharat, and I run Evening Sends, the only climbing website on the internet. And I'm Chris Kalous, host of the Enormacast, the only other climbing podcast. Please leave a review of our show on iTunes, share an episode with your friends, and follow us on social media. We should be fairly easy to find. Drop us a line, let us know what you think. My email is andrew at runoutpodcast.com. And my email is chris at runoutpodcast.com. And also, please support our show. Go to patreon.com slash runoutpodcast and become a rope gun today. Mm-hmm.